Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Well, hey, good morning, fellas. Hey, welcome to our first ever Man Challenge in the Woods. Good to see you guys. Yeah. You're witnessing history. Apparently, uh, you guys found parking spots and the rest of these guys did not. So, congrats. Hey, I want to share a couple things with you guys before we switch gears into teaching time this morning. Things are going to be a little different today. I want to give you why we're meeting in this room. One is it's, it's a really good reason we have a Global Mission Health Conference. This is something that it's probably really easy for you guys to not have a clue about, but we've got missionaries and doctors, missionary doctors and medical people from all over the globe that have flown in here to be a part of this. And so they, this thing takes up our whole campus except for across the street here. So that's why we moved over because there's literally outside of the sanctuary, there's no room Uh, that's not accounted for. So thank you all for being flexible. Um, They encouraged us to cancel, but, you know, it's called Man Challenge. It felt a little little bikini wax version to cancel just uh, instead of moving over. So thank you guys for moving with us. It is a little different. Obviously, you know, one of the, this is kind of the antithesis of what we share at Man Challenge. We say we learn better in circles, not rows. So Apparently, we're not going to learn much today. Uh, actually, that's not true at all. Terrence Terman's going to be teeing up the scripture for us. But because we are in rows, pews, not circles, um, I know some of you organized, at least sitting together. So if you're a table leader, here's what I want to encourage you guys to do today. I want to encourage you to text, text your group, whatever it takes, if you're not already together. Man, huddle up before you head out tonight, today. And, and spend time praying together. Maybe it's praying over somebody in your group that's going through a hard time right now. But spend some time praying before you do that. If you need to go out in the parking lot, we got some tables out back in, in the back of the room here that have been claimed the VIP section. And, uh, but we've got this whole space we got outside. So take advantage of that. A lot of you guys have already stepped in and engaging in this, but I want to share about this generosity challenge. All right, this is something our Southeast Men's Ministry is doing this Thanksgiving to Christmas time. And we are specifically coming alongside of 95 identified single moms. And our why behind that is not pity. It's not pity. It's not, you know, coming in to be uh, the Southeast guy heroes. It's coming alongside of these ladies, single moms, so they can take a breath, so they can breathe for a minute. And so um, our process for this is we're giving every group $100 as seed money. And we want to we challenge, it's called Man Challenge, we want to challenge every group, not in a legalistic way, but in a heart-driven way. We want you to at least match that seed money. That's not intended to be, oh, we got 100 bucks to spend as a group. It's intended to, to, be, a, to be a springboard to jumpstart into a, a heart of generosity. You know, one of our values is to develop a heart to invest in others. This is a tangible way 
a practical, tangible way. And here's the thing. We've got a few coaching tips to make sure we're avoiding even the appearance of evil. So one of the things is no single dude um, interacts in person with a single mom. There's at least two of you. Ideally, your group does things together, but we want to avoid the appearance of evil. And in doing so, man, guys, here's, my, here's the man challenge for all of us. Let's model for every one of these single moms how godly men treat a woman. Because um, you never know, for some of these single moms, that might be the first time they've ever seen uh, godly men in their life. Could be the first time they've ever seen how a godly man treats a woman, how a man uh, treats a woman by being kind and doing something nice and generous without expecting something in return. And so let's go be the church. Let's go unleash this full force of the church, uh, one single mom at a time here. And I know some of you are like, man, we've already, I've already got a single mom that I work with or, or a neighbor or whatever. This isn't a, hey, it only counts if, if, it's, if it's our single moms that we've identified. But we are partnering with, with um, women's ministry and a few ministries that we're partners with here in town that are already ministering to single moms. So that's where this, this base of, of ladies has come from. But if your group has somebody in mind, that's absolutely fine. We still need to know who that is. So Andy Potter's going to be out these doors around the corner right after the teaching this morning. Uh, if you have not already checked out, uh, identified a single mom and gotten your seed money. So uh, table leaders, you guys head out there after this is over if you haven't done that already. We've got a men's conference. This is the first time we've done this, at least in the decade that I've been here. We are doing it Saturday, December 10th, 8 a.m. to 12 p.m., so four hours. It's a free conference, but we need you to register uh, for food purposes. And it's going to be an awesome, you know, Ephesians 4 talks about equipping. You know, we do not want to be a men's ministry or a church that tells men what they ought to do, but then we don't show, show us how. Um, equipping is showing how and raising up um, with, with competence and confidence of who Jesus is and how we live that out. And so we've got four straight hours where we're going to have two different electives each hour. Um, actually, we're going to come together, then we're going to do electives, and then we're going to come back together. So really want to encourage you. This isn't a man challenge exclusive thing. If you know a dude that's not connected, bring him along. Uh, it's going to be a great way to, to get encouraged and equipped. So that is December 10th, and you can... Follow those instructions right there. Um, I think that's all I got. Let's welcome Terrence Terman to the Chapel in the Woods stage. Man, you're sponsored up here. You got, you got Major League Baseball, Bellarmine. Uh, is that football? FCA. FCA. Yeah. Um, NIL deal. You fell for it. I asked if it's football. Oh. Bellarmine. I heard we, got, we got a sprint team. Do you? Okay. Yeah. What are the rules on the sprint team? I forgot about that. Yeah, you gotta you can't weigh more than 178 pounds. <laughs> That's the rule. Everything else is the same as football. Is yeah, I'm in. <laughs> uh, all right, man challenge minute. Just get this thing warmed up. This is the first man challenge minute in the Chapel of Woods ever. Probably the last one. All right. If you were president for one day, mm -hmm. what would what would be the first non-negotiable that you would accomplish? Uh, I would free all my homies. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> uh, man, you know, 
Oh, man. Um, <laughs> first non-negotiable. Oh, man. I, I mean, no, I would, I would, if I had the power, I would get, get rid of political parties in general. Mm. All right. Yeah. Uh, open ballot right here coming up. Uh, most embarrassing moment you can share. Oh, most embarrassing moment I can share? As a dad. As a dad. Okay, let's, as a dad. I'm like, dad. okay, we're going back here. Um, most embarrassing moment I can share as a dad. Or the funniest moment as a dad. Well, you, um, you know, I mean, there's many of them, but I would say, I'll just say this year, it was funny. Uh, you know, I coached, you know, Little League football, and, and, all, and I was, like, you know, the only pastor on the staff, and so I always tried to, like, carry myself just a little different. Um, and so I was always the, I'm a yeller, so I yelled at kids, but, like, in a loving way, come on, man, you can do it, buddy. What are we doing, you know? And, and I would always give them hugs and stuff and just really be affectionate with the kids, but... <laughs> There was one. There was one play that got sent out to all the parents, um, where I was watching one of my players do something wrong, but we called a pick six, and so we, our dude has got the ball. He's running down the sideline, and all you see me at the bottom of the screen taking my hat off, and I'm just like throwing it on the <laughs> ground, and that's how the video ends. Is just me like this throwing my hat <laughs> to the ground, and everybody's like, "What's wrong with Coach Terrence down there?" And I'm like, "Dang it, man! Like I'm, I'm ruining my witness right now, you know." <laughs> Showing all this extra aggression, but I, I had no clue what was going on. I was just watching my D-lineman do the wrong thing, and I'm just like, what are you doing, you know? And so that happened recently, so yeah, I had to explain that. Ain't you a pastor? Yeah, 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 yeah. We get mad, too. I love it. I love it. All right, favorite action movie? Favorite action movie is Rush Hour 2 or Rush Hour, Rush Hour, Rush Hour 2. Either one right. of those. Favorite Bible character and why? Favorite uh, person in the Bible would have to be... Other than Jesus. Okay. Um, favorite person in the Bible would have to be... Man. I've always liked Samson, mainly because I relate to Samson. Mm, how so? Well, I just think uh, Samson's story of relying on his strength versus wisdom... Mm. Um, was his downfall, and I think a lot of my story has been saying you're trying to rely on your physical strength, your ability, versus the wisdom that God has given you through other people, and that kind of was my journey back into the faith, so I relate to Samson a lot. That's good. What are you most proud of currently? I'm most proud of just who, who God has raised me up to be as a man. You know, I don't I didn't have a, a godly male influence in my life um, when I was a kid. Um, I'm a product of two divorces. You know, mm. both of the men that God placed in my life didn't take that responsibility seriously, and they hurt my mom deep, deeply. And, uh, you know, so my mom raised me and my brother from the time I was 10 on. And uh, to be a man that's, you know, been married for 11 years now, four children, um, following Jesus, um, I just feel like, uh, I beat the statistics. Hmm. Yeah. Your dad missed out, and your kids hit the jackpot. Hey. And I'm and I'm grateful none of your four kids will be up here someday or anywhere talking about what you just said um, in the past. So thank you for being faithful. What would you say to the 21 year old version of yourself, knowing what you know today? Uh, <laughs> uh, probably, um, 
21 was an interesting time, but that's when I was really saying yes to Jesus for the first time. But I would say... What would you say to the 20-year-old version of yourself? Yeah, yeah. So I would say 20-year-old version of myself. Uh, hey, man, like, what's, what you're feeling as you go is not a lie, right? It's, it's God calling you. Um, I just always had this sense that I was headed in the wrong direction, but I never stopped going in the wrong direction. And I credit that to just my mom having a devout faith. My mom prays for me every day still to this day. And so I just, I just take that as her prayers, you know, the Lord using that, covering me, keeping his promises, and always being with me, reminding me. So I could never – I had a group of friends on the football team. We would always get ourselves into situations, but I could never go the extra mile. I was always get to the edge, and I was always a dude that would pull back, and I never understood why. Mm. And uh, I just counted as God's hand on my life. Mm. Um, and so, and I would always tell myself, hey, pick a different major. You know, I, I was stupid. I was sitting there talking to my wife the other day. I said, you know, I had college paid for for free, and I chose sport management as a major. I'm an idiot. You know, I, I, I could have been a, a, I could have went to pharmacy school. I could have done some of everything. They would have paid for it. But I got to college, and I told the advisor first day, I said, hey, show me all the majors that you only have to take one math and no foreign languages. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like seven of them. I was like, all right, here we go. And <laughs> I went from like 50 majors to seven. And I was like, okay, these are my seven that I'm choosing from. And I tried all of them, and then I landed on sport management. I was like, sports management. Is that where they taught you how to throw your hat down? No, man. You, it's, you know, it's a rip-off degree because that you take all the same classes as the business majors. But you don't get to have a business degree when you go apply for uh, jobs. So there you go. Good to know now. <laughs> uh, all right. So it's called Man Challenge. You got a room full of dudes. Yep. Uh, if you could give one man challenge and know that every one of us in this room, the answer is yes, or we do it, or become it, whatever it is, what would, what would it be? One man challenge. Um, repent often. Hmm. I think that, that would be my challenge. Repent often. Repent. Name your, you know, transgressions out loud to God. Like, say them, you know. I know I had this tendency where I would just say, Lord, forgive me all my sins. Versus saying, Lord, forgive me for this explicit thing that I did specifically. Mm. I think there's a power in naming your sin. And I'd say, Rob, repent to the people in your life. Uh, it's been some of the most transformative moments in my life when I had to apologize to my eight or nine-year-old kid. Mm. Or when I had to go back to my wife and say, hey, honey, I'm sorry. And, like, no qualifiers. You can still be mad at me. Like, this is not so that we could, you know, smooch up tonight. Like, I'm sorry. And if I still need to be out here on the couch, I'm okay with that. I'm sorry. Hmm. Right? And I think uh, there's just some growth. There's some transformative things that happen to the male ego that are good, that teaches us, that brings us back to the scriptures of how do you honor your wife? How do you love your wife? How do you see your wife as bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh? Right? And, and how do you raise your children up in the way they should go. If they, they see a humble father before them, um, then it's probably going to raise humble children. And so I just believe uh, repentance is huge. That's good. Well, one of our things is no posers allowed around here, uh, definitely from stage. So reached out to your family, your crew, and asked Jameson and Chandler their favorite thing about you. And they said, Daddy, you're funny, smart, and creative. So keep that train going. Ask Brittany what her favorite thing about you is, and she said, and I quote, 
Honestly, my favorite thing is that he is hot. <laughs> she's not wrong. No, she's not. Uh, <laughs> but then she said, but I guess a more church answer would be that he truly lives to love me the way Jesus has called him to love me. He loves hard, forgives quickly, even if he knows it's 100% my fault and really desires to break generational curses for our family. She sees Jesus' reflection through you by your faithfulness to the Lord. Your passion for God's word is not just for preaching, but to truly live in step with it as well as direct our family and anyone you come into contact with to do the same. Fellas, this is who we're hearing from today. Let's welcome Terrence Terman. Thank you. All right, Ronnie. Trying to get me to cry, you got me excited. I will say, uh, I think we're good. I was gonna tell you, make sure you're sitting close to somebody. We're gonna do uh, the morning a little different. Since we don't have tables, uh, today we're gonna take a little bit more of a Socratic approach and that's a big word uh, that really means we're just gonna talk a little bit as we go um, since we don't have tables and that's just a way that, to make sure that we do have discussion time but we're also uh, get to learn uh, together this morning. And so excited to be here with everybody. Um, I'm to put my cozy on. Hold on one second. I got to get my, you know, I need my Coke Zero this morning because I've been dealing with the, uh, the crud like crazy. We went to, all the way to Panama City uh, Thursday. We got in there and my whole family got sick. <laughs> so we... We, I guess we took the crud with us to Florida, so we're looking at paradise and like in the room, just like, oh. And then we drove all the way back this week and we're feeling awful in the car for so long. But we're here this morning, and God has blessed me with some recovery, and so I'm grateful. This chair is creaking, so if I fall, don't laugh at me. I'm hot, but I'm a big dude. Um, but we're going to dive in, man. So we've been looking at this book, uh, Second Timothy. Um, as you all know, unless this is your first time, if this is your first time, I want to say welcome. Glad that you are here. Hope that these last couple of weeks of Man Challenge that you join us will be uh, uh, memorable for you, that they will catch your heart and show you that this community of men is just not just a group of men that come together to hear somebody talk, but it actually is that word, a community, and it's a place for you. So we hope uh, that you find comfort in that and we're in this book called 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is a letter written by this man named the Apostle Paul. Um, uh, Apostle Paul wrote a letter to his spiritual son, uh, Timothy. Um, as you've heard this semester, the Apostle Paul was coming, coming towards the end of his life, the end of his ministry. And he had to give Timothy kind of some final charges as to what it would look like for him ultimately to go on in ministry without the mentorship of Paul. He would say, hey, here's what it's going to take for you to carry the mantle when I'm gone. Here's what the church will need from you. Here's what the Lord will require from you as you move forward carrying this message of the gospel in a hostile world. Uh, well, the first time I spoke this semester, I said two things about this letter. I said that this letter was deeply personal Right, it's deeply personal and it's personally specific. Right, those sound very similar. It's deeply personal in the sense that 
every, every section of this letter, you can feel Paul's emotions, right? Even without the commentary that Paul is in a prison and that he's alone, he's near the end of his life, even if you didn't have that context, you could read this letter and you could feel the sense of vulnerability and you can feel the sense of urgency that the Apostle Paul has in this letter. So this letter is, is deeply personal. You know, he's not a poser, as he writes this. He is laying it all bare in his letter. But it's also personally specific that it is speaking very personally to very real and specific situations that are going on in Paul and Timothy's life. It's not just some general topic. It's not just some philosophical writing, but this is actually something that is written to specific moment in time, to specific issues and specific needs. And so when we pick up our passage today, I think we're going to see the same thing. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 9 through 18. I think it's going to be on the screen behind me, but there are also Bibles in the seat backs in front of you if you want to follow along. I'm reading from the Holman's Christian Standard Bible. Um, now, before I read this passage, I do want to kind of let you know that like, this passage, this section of scripture, as you can see, when you turn to your Bible, we're getting towards the end. These are kind of like the final words of the letter. So, so this part of scripture, we're really just getting into like the last things that you're trying to kind of, the PS's per se. This is Paul's PS. He's written what he wanted to say. Now he's saying, hey, PS, here are some things that I need you to take care of for me. And so when I said that this letter is deeply personal and personally specific, our text today is very much that. Like, when the first time I read it, I said, why in the world did they give me this passage? Because it's really, it's really just Paul saying some things that he needs, you know, for, for his time. But as I sat with it more, I began to see some beauty that God left for us in Paul's word. But here's what it says. He wrote this to Timothy. It says, make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas has deserted me because he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left in Tross with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself because he strongly opposed our words. At my first offense, no one came to my assistance, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the proclamation might be fully made through me and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so when we look at our text, we're going to have to do a little mining, all right? A little mining. We're going to have to read this text and lift from it some uh, just theological truths uh, that we see in Paul's words. And when I looked at that, when I sat with it, I felt like... Uh, Paul's words gave us insight into three types of relationship, all right? So that's what we're going to walk through. The three types of relationship that Paul's word helps us with is, number one, relationship with reality. Number two, relationship with others. Number three, relationship with God. I'm going to say it again. 
Number one, relationship with our reality. Number two, relationship with others. And number three, relationship with God. Now, when I say relationship with our, with our reality, I mean that Paul's words, when we read it as a collective, helps us understand the posture in which we should walk in our lived reality. Throughout this passage, the Apostle Paul kept before him who he was in Christ and who he has been called to be in Christ. In these passages, we read some, some hard things about the Apostle Paul's life in this moment. We read that he's alone. We read that he's been betrayed. We read that people have turned against him. But we also read this posture of hope and this posture of peace in the Apostle Paul. I think the Apostle Paul's life reveals to us this statement that difficult times have a way of giving perspective on what matters most. Like difficult times have a way to illuminate for us what things really matter. And I think, you know, the cursing and the blessing that we all got two years ago was that we got to experience that. When 2020 hit, we all got to learn who we were in difficult times. And some of us didn't like who we saw in those difficult times. Some of us maybe haven't even reflected on who we were in those times. We kind of have sped through it. But I know for myself, I learned very quickly that I wasn't as mature as I thought I was. I wasn't as righteous as I thought I was. I wasn't as right as I thought I was. Right? And, and 2020 and 2021 taught me lessons of clinging to the Lord. The Apostle Paul's words in this difficult time, in this prison, where he's no longer on house arrest like he was, but he's in this deep, dark dungeon, and like you said, he's alone. Only Luke is with him. I see three areas where difficult times shaped the Apostle Paul. The first area that it shaped Apostle Paul was in his desires. Right? The Apostle Paul got a, a deep clarity on what he actually desired when tough times hit. Like when tough times hit us, if you're starving, you're not worried about if Burger King lets you have it your way or not, right? If you're starving, you will take the can of Spam with joy and glee, right? Because what's on your mind is not necessarily a preference, but a need. And when we read the Apostle Paul's words, we see his desires are really just fleshing out his needs, the first need of the Apostle Paul is companionship. He says, Timothy, do the best as you can to come to me quickly. Paul knows that he needs friendship in these difficult times. Paul knows that I am not made to do life alone. And if I'm going to continue to finish the race that is set before me, I need faithful friends to come beside me to strengthen me in this moment. So Paul's desire in this moment was companionship. From companionship, we also see a desire for comfort. Something as simple as, hey, on your way here, Timothy, because, you know, you're going to be traveling for a long time. Like, this is what we need to understand. He's saying, hey, Timothy, come to me quickly. It was probably going to take Timothy seven months or so to get there. Hey, come to me quickly. So it probably took, he sent the letter. It's probably going to take seven months to get there. And come quickly. So Timothy probably had to clear up some things at the church of Ephesus and then come. So Paul probably wasn't going to see Timothy for 15 months. But he said, hey, come to me quickly. And when you come, you're going to go through this part. Stop by, uh, uh, what's his name? Stop by uh, my, our buddy's house, uh, Carpus, and grab my cloak. 
I left it over there. When they took me to jail, I forgot to grab my cloak. It's like, hey, it's going to get cold over here, and I need something to keep me warm. And no, they're not giving me anything, so I know I have a cloak. So when you go through there, grab it. Right? So he's, he's looking for comfort. And he says, hey, make sure you bring my scrolls and make sure you bring my parchments. Paul says, hey, make sure you bring my scriptures too. I have a lot of it here, but there's just something about reading God's word. He says, hey, bring my scriptures. See, Paul's desires were deeply shaped by his needs. And what they're telling us is, hey, men, no matter what stage of life you're in, you need friendship. You need companionship. Right? It's okay and seasons that you're going through things to be comforted. There's nothing less manly about having an arm put around you. All right? And the scriptures in themselves are a place of comfort for us no matter what season of life we're in. And so that's what Paul's words telling us about desires and how difficult times should shape our desires. I also see that this difficult time shapes Paul's ethics. They shape his ethics. And I think we all can learn that hard times will, you know, tell you to forgive people like that you never thought you would forgive. We all have maybe heard stories of radical forgiveness at funerals and and different things like that, where people hadn't talked to each other for 15 years. But then a sudden death happens and they realize, hey, man, this is stupid. We need to be we need to be tight. We need to be family. Right. And when we read Paul's words, we see Paul's ethics being shaped. Number one, we see Paul being okay with reconciliation. If you know the story, when Paul says, bring Mark to me, that is a significant statement. Because if you ever read the book of Acts, you know that Paul and one of his best friends, Barnabas, got into a, almost a, a fisticuffs over Mark. Because on, on one of their first missionary journeys, they took a younger Mark with them. And when things got hot, Mark ran and he went back home and he deserted Paul and Barnabas. And so when they went on another missionary journey, Barnabas said, hey, Mark is ready. He won't run again. And Paul said, no, I ain't taking that joker with me nowhere. I need rider dies with me. All right. So he said, Mark ain't coming. So they had such a heated argument that they decided we're not even going to do ministry together anymore. I love you, dog, but you go your way and I'm going to go my way. Because Barnabas was convinced I'm taking Mark. If Timothy was Paul's son, Mark was Barnabas' son. And he says, I'm not going to leave Mark. And so they went their separate ways. Now we find Paul, who separated from his strongest partner in ministry, saying, hey, Mark, bring Mark with you. See, tough times will change your ethics and, and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the good that you see in other people. And he says, hey, I believe that Mark is now useful to the ministry, so bring Mark to me. Paul had a heart of reconciliation in these tough times. And then he had a heart of forgiveness. Paul says, everybody deserted me, but I, I, I won't hold it against them. Because Paul says, listen, as I face certain deaths, what, does, what good does it do to me to hold a grudge against people who are just being human? All right. A lot of times we read these scriptures about people leaving Paul or deserting or Peter running away when he was, you know, exposed as being a follower of Jesus and we shake our heads. And really what they demonstrate to us is just that these people are, again, human. And that sometimes difficult things make us afraid. And sometimes we're not as courageous as we thought we were. 
And in this time, being a faithful Christian almost certainly meant being faithful unto death. And it's good to say that until you have to live that. And so for these people, Paul is not necessarily condemning them. This is why he says, listen, I don't hold it against them. He's just saying, hey, this is just the facts of the matter. So he says, listen, I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to hold it over here. I forgive them. And then the third thing we see that this difficult time shape for Paul is his theology. Throughout this whole text, it ends with Paul uh, leaning into Christ's dependency. And if your theology is not shaped by Christ's dependency, I'm just going to tell you, you have the wrong theology. All right? If your theology, if your view of faith, if your hope is not centered on what Christ has done, is doing, and will do, then you are following another gospel. And Paul's words here says, I'm committed to this cause because of what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, and what Christ will do. We see that in those final verses where he talks about being deserted, right? And who stood beside him? Christ. And he said, who delivered him from the lion's mouth? Christ. And who will bring him into the heavenly kingdom? Christ. Paul's hope, Paul's vision, Paul's life is shaped by Christ's dependency. And I don't know if, had he not gone through difficult times, being a man who loved the law so much that he killed Christians, that he would have came to that conclusion. So difficult times have a way of pruning us, refining us, it's the fire that burns off the impurities in our life. And so when you face difficult times, man, I think Paul's word here is telling us, listen, make sure that you are leaning into what you need most. Difficult times typically offer you up two options. Every now and then I open up the book uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, John uh, Bunyan wrote it years ago, 1600s. It's a great book. If you've never read it, I suggest you read it. But it's telling the story of the Christian journey. And throughout this journey, this guy named Christian, who is trying to get to the celestial city, he's trying to get to, the, to the, his eternal life, he faces difficult times. And every time he faces a difficult time, he's usually given two options. He's usually given the option to stay on the narrow path or, he, or somebody comes along that offers him a shortcut. And there's a couple times in the story where he takes a shortcut and he finds himself in more peril. And he learns as he goes that this narrow path, as scary as it is, is the right path. And I think sometimes difficult times will bring for us these opportunities to take shortcuts. And what Paul's words in his writing to Timothy are telling us is that narrow path, as difficult as it may be, is the right path. So men, difficult times, don't take the shortcuts. Lean into what you need most. Lean into who you're called to be most. Right? And lean into who can keep you better than anybody else can keep you. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's talk for a second. I got a question for you. Find some guys around you. Now, here's the question. Speak of a difficult time in your life and how it shaped your worldview. Speak of a difficult time in your life and how it shaped your worldview. Go. You got to talk. (laughs) 
All right. Let's bring it back. We're going to bring it back, guys. Good. Good. Y'all did a good job, man. Just all these voices and just leaning in. That's probably the most talking I've heard. Some of these dudes had to talk because they're sitting by somebody who asked them a question. They talked for the first time this semester. I'm so proud of you if that is you. Great job. No, seriously, hopefully what you heard was a similar thread in all your story that a difficult time brought clarity. And ultimately, that's what we read in Apostle Paul's words, right? The second relationship that I mentioned earlier was relationship with earliers and with others, excuse me, relationship with others. And here's what the Apostle Paul's words teach me. They show me this, that relationship is transient in nature, right? That relationship in general is transient in nature. Right, with that in view, uh, there are three truths that I, that I think we should tuck away as we do relationship with other people. Because relationship with other people is not just about friendship, but just we, we do life in relationship with other people. As we drive, we do life in relationship with other people, right? As we go to Starbucks or a coffee shop, we're doing life in relationship with other people. So I'm not talking about just friendship. I'm talking about just relationship with other people in general. <clears throat> the first thing that the Apostle Paul's words show me about relationship with other people is that uh, people can be a resource. That people can be a resource. We see this as he, number one, is writing a letter to who? Timothy. And the very first passage we read was, hey, Timothy, make every effort you can to come to me. Right, Timothy in Paul's eyes was a resource. He was a comfort. He was a friend in hard times. He was a joy. And so he saw value in Timothy. The second person was Luke. Luke only gets one line right here, and we can gloss over it. It kind of makes Luke sound like he ain't important. Only Luke is with me. Like, Luke either is not a good conversationalist or something. Like, because Paul is there. He's naming it, but he's naming everybody else and why they left. And only Luke is with me. All right, but Luke was a resource, all right? Right, Luke was uh, a good friend. He was faithful. And Luke uh, oftentimes was writing down the events of what was happening so we could have him today. So Luke was a resource. Then he mentions Mark again. I already talked about Mark. Mark had matured and had shown himself to be faithful in the ministry. And so now Mark was a resource. And then Tychicus. Tychicus, who he sent the letter with, was a resource. And I think it's important for us to know that like God will bring people into our life, sometimes for the long haul and sometimes for a season, to simply just be a resource, right? There are people in your life that are in your life right now, or you are meant to be a resource in my life. A perfect example of this is the, is the challenge. All of us are going to have opportunity to be an immediate resource to a family here very shortly. And we're going to model for this single mom and her kids the power of people. And that people, when we do life together the right way, are truly a resourceful bunch of people. And that we can bring uh, life change and hope and joy into each other's lives. And so that was the case for all these people in Paul's life, that these four men that I just mentioned were a resource to Paul. And so if people in your life are not a resource, then I will have to ask you, why? And the answer would probably be you. The reason that people aren't a resource in your life is because you won't allow it to be the case. 
But in this best of time, it's all that's fine. There's more people in making more. Sure, sense of gratefulness and gratitude as you go about life, it just makes things just a little bit better. It just makes things a little bit more simple. You don't need as much. You don't gripe as much. Like, this is what I tell my kids all the time. Like, and, and as parents, if, you, if you're a parent, you know you've told your kids this before, too. Be grateful for what you got. Right? Uh, or what's the saying? Uh, uh, don't be sad that it ended. Be sad that you came. Right? When we leave a place and the kids are crying, oh, oh, oh. Man, we were here for five days, bro. Like, that's enough. <laughs> like, I'm ready to go home. Like, be happy that we came for five days, you know? Like, why are you crying? Right, but in the simple, uh, simple things of life, I think so often we don't do that well. Like, sometimes we just can't see the resources in our life and, and walk with gratefulness, and one of those resources are people. The second uh, truth about people is this, that people can be a thorn. People can be a thorn in our lives. The first thorn that we read about in Paul's life is Demas. And Demas was a thorn because Demas, to Paul's eyes, deserted him. And here's what you got to know about Demas. Demas was, a, 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 was a, a great friend of Paul. When you read throughout the scriptures, you, you see Demas' name mentioned a lot with Luke and Timothy. Demas had done a lot of life with Paul. And so Paul says Demas deserted him because he loved his life too much. Now, theologians and scholars are not quite sure exactly what it was about this life for Demas. You know, they, they, they kind of debate about it. Some say that Demas completely left the faith. He got to this point where, you know what, preaching was cool until it ain't cool. And now I'm out. And then we got some that say, no, 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 it wasn't necessarily that he left the faith. It was more so like a Mark story where the heat turned up and he went to Thessalonica where there was a thriving church where he could just blend in and just live this life a little bit longer. Because he, he saw, if I keep hanging out with Paul, if he about to die, then I'm probably about to die. <laughs> and so he probably chose to say, you know what, the heat of this journey right now is too much for me. And I'm not ready to go. And what Paul is pointing to is that sometimes we struggle with having more hope in heaven than we do in this life. Like, the heavenly life is supposed to be our hope. Like, leaving this world is supposed to be the thing that, that holds us together on this journey. Like, the hope to come is what's supposed to be uh, the bread and butter of our faith. But sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we get so here and now focused that we miss that our hope altogether is not even this life, but it's the life to come. This is why, you know, it's important that we don't just abandon some of the, in my opinion, some of the old hymns and things that, that the church grew up on. Because a lot of those just had the semblance where they always pointed you to the life to come. I think so often our books and our songs and and our sermons and so much of what we take in is so focused on how do we thrive in the here and now. They kind of become self-help with a Christian twist. And 
what God has called us to and what Paul is reminding us of is this idea of to set your eyes on what's to come as you set your eyes on what's before you. Because if you know what's to come, then what's before you doesn't really matter as much. And what he's pointing to is that Demas in this season had forgotten that. And so it hurt him. All of us have had friends to leave the faith and it hurts. Some of us have people in our small groups, in our weekend groups or at our tables that before COVID, they were there every week. COVID hit and they're nowhere to be found. And it hurts us. We wonder, what is it? Why won't they come back? Right? They all have reasons. We see them when we go out for the baseball tournaments. They're there. They'll travel all day for a baseball tournament but won't drive 15 minutes to church. Why? And it hurts us because we love them. And so when people leave us, it becomes a thorn. It hurts. And the other thorn was Alexander. Alexander represents opposition. And faithfulness to God will always bring opposition into your life. There are some people that you're going to encounter or maybe that you've already encountered as you stand firmly in the faith or just in your life to be opposition. If Jesus has disciples, then Satan has disciples too. And those people will be in your life as a thorn to try to deter you from the hope that God has so graciously given you. And so for Alexander, he was a guy who was a chief testimony against Paul. Many theologians believe that he's the reason that Paul was arrested in the first place. He, if Paul didn't have anybody to stand with him, Alexander was there to stand against him. And so Alexander was a thorn, and he's telling Timothy, hey, you're going to come the same road I came. And if Alexander hears that you're in town, he knows that you are my son, spiritually. And if he knows that you're in town, then he'll probably try to do the same thing that he did to me while you're there. So watch out for him. Move discreetly. Alexander is, is, is against our word. So if he hears that you're there trying to help me continue to spread this gospel, he's going to do everything he can to stop you from doing that. So watch out. And I think Paul's words are just a reminder for us that, yes, as we live this world where we're becoming, where we're trying to be Christians who love all kinds of people and accept all kinds of people, understand it's okay to know that there's some people that are just really out to get you. And they don't want the gospel to go forth. They don't want the church to thrive. And it's okay to acknowledge that. That don't mean you hate them. But it's okay to acknowledge that because as you acknowledge that, you learn how to move more strategically. Right? You learn how to walk. Right? You learn how to talk. In some of your workplace, there are some people who, who, who want to disrupt what you're doing. You, some of you have hopes and visions of, of seeing the gospel infiltrate your workplaces. And there are going to be some people who will stand in great opposition to that. So what you have to learn to do is be more strategic. You have to learn maybe to go to extra mile and say, hey, my, 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 my mission field is my workplace, but my battlefield is after hours. So maybe I build a friendship in the workplace and then I invite them to my home. Right? There's so many things that we can learn just from the simple line of just be watchful. There will be opposition for you as you go faithfully after Jesus. And so people can be a thorn in our lives. The third uh, thing for people is that people can be a legacy. So people can be a resource. People can be a thorn. People can be a legacy. 
We see three people in this passage that are a legacy of Paul. We see Cretans, we see Titus, we see Timothy. Now, it kind of gets confusing because when you read it, he talks about demons, and then he mentions, these, uh, he mentions Cretans and he mentions Titus in like a sweeping sentence. But there's a difference there in the sense that Demas left him because he loved his world. Cretans and Titus left because they were sent out. So we have a book right after First Timothy, I mean, Second Timothy called Titus. Well, so we clearly know that Titus was being faithful. And theologians point to Cretans as being you know, impactful in his area that he was sent out to as well. And so we know that these two people were a legacy of Paul. So Paul saw these people as people who would be with him for a time that would ultimately be sent out. And sometimes sending people out for good causes can be painful as well. Right? Relationships, go back to that first point. Relationships are transient in nature. And so we have to learn even how to let people go so they can fly and do all the things that God has called them to. It would have felt better for Paul to keep Christians and to keep Titus with him. Like it probably would have served him well, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, to have two more compadres that are just hanging out with him. But he had to do the hard but right thing and send them out. Here's some practical ways. There's some, and we're gonna, we're gonna bring it real practically. There's some people right now who need to be sent out for our context to be a table leader. Maybe they're really valuable at your table. Maybe they really help the conversation go. But you know, okay, this person has a, has a great width of influence and, and they're more useful if they were out leading themselves. Table leader, it's your job to go ahead and start talking to the person and say, hey, next semester, man, you need to launch out and start your own table. Some of you do a great job of that. We got like some, some tables got like 14 babies, all right? And that's awesome. But some of us got no babies, all right? And we're just hugging together because we like our crew. And we got five table leaders at one table, right? Like, hey, some, now it's time to launch out, right? But I think it's another thing that this challenge us with to ask this question. Like, how are we building a legacy? Like, you don't get hurt by people being a legacy unless you're building a legacy in people, Right? I think what these three things teach us is this, is that other people are for your joy, they're for your growth, and they're at the center of your mission in life. Other people are created to do life with you, to be your joy. It is not good for man to be alone. Let me create one suitable to do life with man. So God created another human. That's a beautiful story of man and woman coming together, but it's also just a beautiful story of community. Adam needed another human to do life with. In that same story, Eve was for Adam's growth. He failed the test, but she was there for his growth as well as a man, as a leader. How are you going to lead? I have told you what you're responsible to do. Now I need you to raise up this, this woman that I've given you to teach her what we're supposed to do and to lead. And he failed the test. She was for his growth. But then also, she became the center of his mission. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
Right? And from her seed would come the liberator of all the world. And for us, it's a practical challenge to say, man, how are people, how am I allowing people to be my joy? Am I just enjoying my friendship, my relationship, my family? When's the last time you called your mama? When's the last time you went and visited your daddy? When's the last time you went on a trip with your brother or your sister or your cousin? Right? When's the last time you went to one of your nephew's balls game, ball games and just enjoyed the joy of relationship? Right? How are you allowing difficulty in life with other people to sanctify you? Right? Well, how are you seeing sanctification in your marriage? How are you seeing sanctification in your parenting? How are you seeing sanctification in your workplace? How are you seeing sanctification in your small groups, in your friendships? How are those things causing you to grow? And then who is your person that you're pursuing right now for the gospel? Who is the person in your life that you're pouring into to be a stronger Christian? What person or persons are at the center of your mission? We got two questions that we're going to talk about right now. Question two here says, speak of a time when someone in your life was either a resource or a thorn, and how did that impact you? And question three, if you knew your days were numbered, who and what would be your legacy? Go. Gonna bring it back, fellas. Love all the good discussion. Um, the third, the third relationship that I said this passage helps us deal with a relationship with God. I want to just reread these last few scriptures to recenter us on where we are in the passage. So, verse sixteen it says this: At my first offense, no one came to my assistance, but everyone deserted me. May it not be countered against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the proclamation might be fully made through me and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. One of my uh, favorite uh, theologians and scholars is uh, R. Kent Hughes. And uh, for this particular section, um, he takes us back five years earlier. Uh, when Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. And uh, it talks about how he had so much hope that he could finally go back to Jerusalem and his preaching of Jesus would be received well. And all was going well until some Jews from Asia came into town and they saw Paul. Again, people being a thorn. They saw Paul in the temple, and they started making accusations against Paul about bringing Gentiles into the temple and all these other things. So Paul was arrested, and, and lo and behold, 
it all worked for his good because the Roman commander wanted to question him himself. And Paul used that opportunity as he always does. I'm just, you're going to ask me a question, I'm just going to preach the gospel. And so that's what he did. So he asked him a question and Paul preached the gospel. And that was a hard time for Paul, though, because he was deeply disappointed that what he had hoped for didn't happen and that people came along again and were thrown in his life once again. He thought, probably thought, man, like, this is never going to go how I thought it was going to go. But the scripture tells us something very interesting. In the book of Acts, in that section, it says that Jesus came to Paul and stood with him. And he said, and the, and the, uh, in the Greek, it says Jesus spoke one word to him. And that word translates to this, courage. Courage. Number one, we learned that this wasn't a vision and this wasn't a, something he imagined. No, Jesus physically came and stood with Paul. And he spoke one word to him that Paul carried with him five years later. Courage. When you connect the dots, that Jesus was the only person throughout Scripture to use that word. He used it in a few other spots. He used it with the man who was paralyzed, who was paralyzed and he told him to get up and walk. He really just said, courage. To the woman that had the hemorrhage for 12 years, he said to her, courage. To the disciples that saw him walking across the water that freaked out, he said to them, courage. And to Paul said to him, courage. And so when we read this passage, it's hard not to read courage in Paul's words. I think we find two markers of Paul's life and ministry in these three verses. The first is that Paul's hope was never based on his current circumstances, but instead on who he knew God to be. Right. He had that moment five years ago where Jesus came to him personally and said, courage. That moment was just as real to him five years later as it was on the day that it happened. And I think that's a challenge to us to always remember the faithfulness of God despite the circumstances. God's faithfulness two days ago is the same faithfulness today. It's just as valuable. So we have to center our lives and anchor our lives, not on our circumstances, but on the character of God. That's, that's one thing we see. And beyond that, Paul had an unwavering belief that every circumstance could produce a kingdom good. So he lived that way. He had an unwavering belief. He believed that no matter what the circumstance was, God could produce a kingdom impact from it. I'm chained up in here. And I'm singing with my dog. We singing nothing but the blood of Jesus. And all of a sudden, everything starts shaking. Our chains fall off. This is an opportunity for me to be free. But instead, God is using this to produce a kingdom good. I'm chained to this guard. He has to hear me talk to other people in here and maybe even talk to him about the gospel. This is going to produce kingdom good. I got arrested, and now I'm standing in front of uh, the Roman commanders, and my plan didn't go as I thought it would, but here I am with another opportunity. This will produce kingdom good. And even in his circumstances right now, deserted, alone, needing companionship, 
needing friendship, Paul had a kingdom good on his mind. The second marker that I want to highlight is what I would call the secret of Paul's perseverance on a great trial. And that secret is this, is that Paul consistently walked with a heavenly perspective. I mentioned this earlier. But Paul, not just here, but, but in his other writings, he kept in view the great liberation that was to come. He kept in view that moment where he would be welcomed into everlasting life. That future hope shaped what he wrote. It shaped his actions. That future hope was his confidence and his conviction to remain faithful in the work even when it got hard. It was his confidence in our passage. Paul knew that he was about to die, but here's what he says. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Now, Paul, you got some explaining to do. I'm confused here. You know that you're about to die. You implicated that early in this, earlier in this letter. So explain to me what you mean by the Lord will rescue you from every evil work and bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom. What Paul understood was that no earthly harm could take away his inheritance. What he had to come for him was sealed in the finished work of Christ. And so no matter how he went out in death, he was still going to be brought safely into what he had to come. Paul had a hope. That was his confidence. He knew he had something greater. So in death of in life, I do everything for the Lord. And I said it was his conviction. Paul allowed that future hope to always remind him that dying was the least that he can do for the Lord. Right? If this is what's to come, then what I'm going through, this is the least that I can do. If Jesus could live the life I couldn't live and die the death that I could deserve, deserve, rose again, and he has given me a promise, then the hardships that I face, this is the least that I can do because of what's to come. It was his conviction. And it's a challenge for us. Again, when we face hardships, it's the least that you can do is to remain faithful to the Lord in those hardships because of what he's going to do for you and what he has done for you. The fact that you are saved and you are counted as a child of God is a miracle. It's the least that you can do is take ridicule from people for boldly proclaiming Jesus. The least that you can do. And Paul lived that way. If Paul's final words here wanted to give each and every one of us some truth to tuck away, I think it would give us four encouragements about the Lord. All under this umbrella, that God is faithful. Right? The first one is this, that God is faithful in isolation. Paul, in this moment, felt very alone but he knew that he wasn't alone because God was faithful. In his deepest, scariest moment where he thought all things had gone off the rail, Jesus came to him personally and told him to take courage. And that's a testimony to us that, hey, no matter where you go in life, no matter where you feel mentally, spiritually, emotionally, in your isolation, God is there with you. It's a promise. 
And this is where our theological understanding has to be right. Because God is there with you, and we have a privilege beyond anybody else that we get to go to him directly. This is why prayer is so important. I'm so thankful that the men's conference has stand up and pray. Prayer is our cheat code in isolation. You have a direct line to the Father. How dare you think you're alone? You get to talk to the big man himself. God is faithful. You're never alone. The second truth about God is, is that God is faithful in our weaknesses. In fact, the scriptures say, in your weakness, he is made what? strong. Paul was weak here. But somehow, someway, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he, he wrote something that has inspired the church for generations. God is faithful in weakness. In Paul's weakness, somehow, someway, God kept on his mind the mission that he had given for. And that's my third point, that God is faithful in our calling. I love all the scriptures that remind me that it doesn't depend on me. Probably my favorite scripture is that Apollos planted Paul watered, but God causes the growth. Man, that just frees me up from all the pressure. That freed me up. I, I, I've been feeling awful the last few days. And I needed to finish up this message yesterday, and I was just laying across my bed with the window open, trying on my third dose of whatever thermoflu or whatever I was on. And I'm like, man, I just need, I need to get my Bible out, and I just need to I need to finish. I need to I need I need to revisit that passage. I need to get some stuff down. And that scripture was just peace to me. Terrence, you've read the scripture enough. You don't feel good. Your wife wants you to take a nap. It'll help you take a nap. Trust what you got. Because God causes the growth. And for Paul, I find it remarkable that he sits here in this moment and we find on his mind his mission. So we can't let it miss us that he already has Luke with him. He's telling Timothy to come. And he's saying, bring my scriptures, bring my parchments. Paul's about to die, and he's having his closest compadres come to him, and he's having all his scholarly materials brought to him. I think Paul had on his mind was, I need to make sure I finish well. So, Timothy, you need to come to me in my weakness right now so that I can finish well in the calling that God has given me. I need to give you some final instructions that I can't write on paper. I need you here tangibly with me so that I can raise you up and send you out in the right way. I need to bless you. I need to physically pass this torch to you. God was faithful to Paul. The last thing that we read is this. God is faithful to the end, to the end. 
That last scripture again, the Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. God is faithful to the end. Circumstances, hardship, confusion, plans being interrupted, friendships ending, bad diagnoses, impending death. None of those things change the fact that God is faithful to the end. What Paul's words remind us of and encourages us to do is to cling once again to what's to come and not the here and now. This is an opportunity, especially for men, to let go of the reins of productivity and just pick up the reins of rest. Like Some of you need to put one of your business endeavors down. Some of you need to stop applying for the next job. Some of you need to tell your kid, we're not doing travel ball this year. We're going to play over at the church because it's one night a week. Because we need family. Some of you need to tell your job, I'm not working overtime no more. I can't do it. I got to go home and be with my wife. Some of you need to know that you got enough money saved up. Start giving it away. Because God is faithful to the end. It don't depend on you. This is an invitation to rest. And sometimes rest is literally doing less. <laughs> it's not sometimes just a state of mind that we kind of try to zen our way to, yeah, I just got, got peace, but I'm going to go at the same pace. No, sometimes it's just like, chill out. Because God is faithful to the end. Here's the fourth question, then once you finish this up, man, you're done. What in your life is a memorial of God's faithfulness and why? What in your life is a memorial of God's faithfulness and why? Once you discuss that and y'all are ready, I just encourage you to pray out with the guys around you. And then that'll be it. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.